Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. I am so honored and delighted to be here with the one and only Jasmine Leva, the director of the incredible documentary, The Invisible Vegan, that has taught me so much about the history of veganism and uh, the civil rights movement, for example. Uh, You list so many leaders in the civil rights movement who were plant-based. Tell us, let's talk about that right off the bat. So one of the reasons that I made my documentary is because a lot of a lot of my friends from back home in D.C., you know, African-Americans, they weren't connecting with the vegan movement. And I was all excited about it. And I'm just like, why aren't they getting this? And then I started watching all these vegan documentaries and reading the books. And then it hit me like, wow, there aren't a lot of people they look up to in this movement. And then when I started doing my research, I'm like, but wait. You know, Angela Davis is a vegan. Coretta Scott King is a vegan. Her son. Why aren't, you know, why aren't we told about these people? So that's why in my documentary, I thought it was important to put, you know, them on the forefront. So people in my community could have role models to look up to, which might impact um, them wanting to become vegan. Why do you think those civil rights leaders were and are vegan? Because a lot of them, they're fighting for, like, at the at the cornerstone of what they're fighting for, which is also at the cornerstone of what people in the vegan movement are fighting for, is compassion. We're, we're fighting for a more loving, compassionate society. So if you want a more loving and passion, compassionate society, you don't just say, like, oh, okay, let's be compassionate in this area, but we can be cruel in another area. You know, if you really wanted to permeate and become a part of the human spirit— you have to practice it all the time. It has to be habitual in everything we do, everything we buy, and everything we eat. One of the other things that I thought was so fascinating is that you reveal an uncomfortable subject, the equation of soul food, traditionally meat and dairy-laden soul food with somehow uh, cultural pride, and you uh, deconstruct that and reveal that actual if you take the cultural pride and bring it back to your ancestral heritage, that it was primarily plant-based and had nothing to do with what we consider comfort soul food, which is heavy in meat and dairy. Can you, this is such a crucial point. Can you get into that a little bit? So a lot of times, you know, when it comes to black history all across the board, our history begins and ends with slavery. And even though that is a huge part of our history, that's not the only part of our history. And how we functioned within slavery doesn't necessarily need to be the way we function outside of slavery. So during that time, if your masters weren't giving you um, proper foods and they're only giving you scraps, it is genius. It is beautiful for you to take those scraps and turn it into a loving meal that you can enjoy, like the one sense of enjoyment those people might have had but that was for that time. Like once we got off the plantation, once we have um, access to healthier foods, it's time for us to use our creativity to help each other live and to help each other flourish. And I also think that when people think of soul food, they think 
oh, this is all black people add to the food arena. But it's just like, no, 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 no. We weren't always eating out of, we weren't always eating box macaroni and cheese. Like before we come from one of, as far as um, resources go, one of the richest continents in the world, people were eating plant-based foods. And if they were eating, you know, and they were eating meat as well, but not to the extent that they eat it now. And there was also a deep respect for life you know, now we eat all these burgers. You don't want it. You throw it away. That's not how it was done. Like we had a different relationship with animals as well. You prayed over, if you did eat meat, you used every part of the animal. You prayed over it. Even though they were eating meat, there was still a sacred respect for life. And now that we have so many other options, I don't think we even need, you know, we don't even need the meat anymore because there's so many other places where we can get our food. You have a clip that you play in your film from a movie. I don't know which one, but it's somebody castigating uh, an African-American man, an African-American man castigating another African-American man for saying he's vegan. And well, if you don't eat meat, it's sort of this idea that you're effeminate. Uh, Can you can you break that down? Because there is a lot of that in the culture that really is being uh, put out there so that people who have nothing to do with the African-American culture, the 0.1% can make even more money, but they're using that to sort of delude people into, into making a false connection between a meat and dairy laden diet and cultural pride. So when we even think about, you know, what, what being a man is and what being a man is about and the things that we call effeminate, um, For me, a real man is someone who looks after himself and also looks after those around him. He's a protector. You know, if people are sitting at your table, you never know who at your table might have diabetes. You never know who at your table might have clogged arteries. If you're a real man, I think that you would take concern with things like that and go, you know what? I want everyone at my table to do well. So as a man, I'm going to set an example. And that example is one of health, which in turn is an example of life. Let's talk a little bit. Again, we are so delighted to have the director of The Invisible Vegan. It is streaming now on Amazon Prime. I included the link so you can go right there and watch the whole film for yourself. It's really well done. It features uh, some of my favorite people like my buddy John Sally and Dr. Milton Mills and all sorts of great people with incredible information. But it's also what you reveal about how the African-American community, which, by the way, is the fastest growing segment of the vegan movement in the United States, only 3% of the population overall, according to a 2016 Pew survey, consider themselves vegan, whereas 8% of African-Americans consider themselves vegan. So you are actually leading the movement. Nonetheless, there is this sort of general perception and false equation of meat and dairy-laden foods somehow with African-American culture that your film tries to shatter. So how, how did you come up with this film? I remember I did a lunch break live with you a few years ago when you were just starting it out and uh, now you're on Amazon Prime. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. So I came up with the idea for a film. I, you know, I was in love with you know, the the food and cowspiracy, forks over knives, vegetated. I, I love them all. But then, you know, as I was watching them, I was like, wow, as a collective, 
um, not separately, but as a collective, like these films are not catering to a broad range of people, especially the, you know, the kind of people that I grew up with. So then it became, oh, okay, no, I need to create something that people in my community that will resonate with them because this is such an important message. It has to get out to everyone, not just one group. So when I started doing my research, you know, I thought I was doing something on, you know, trying to just make more black people go vegan. But as I was doing my research, it was just like, wait, a lot of black people already are vegan. That's just not, not in the limelight. So then that became a new objective of my film, like not bring black people to veganism per se, but to showcase Black people, we've already been here. We've already been eating healthy and vegetarian. We've already had heroes speaking out on this stuff. They just don't get the same kind of press. Well, uh, what can we do to show people that, and this is something I think uh, is one of the most important aspects. Here we have a national, even global uprising against racial injustice. And yet anybody who eats fast food is supporting the very companies, brand names aside, I'm not going to get into that for legal reasons, but there have been numerous exposés of how most of the fast food corporations are supporting the political opposition that is now in a direct oppositional confrontation with those Black Lives Matter protesters. So does it make sense to you to go to a Black Lives Matter pro uh, protest and then go to a fast food restaurant and eat that kind of food? meat and dairy laden food. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense for me because I, you know, I know the information, like I have an awareness in that arena. I've also had an awareness because, but I have that awareness because I did a film on the subject. I read lots of books, watched lots of videos. You know, I have a, a circle of people who tell me these kind of things. Whereas other people, I think their relationship with food is just such a throwaway relationship that they don't think about. They think about it as something habitual. And a lot of those political and social ties, they're not exposed to them. So it's almost like when they do it, they don't even realize the hypocrisy of putting that burger on their plate. I mean, you are literally funding the opposition. Absolutely funding the opposition. Uh, because these these fast food restaurants depend upon, let's say, an administration that's giving the factory farm industry huge billions of dollars in subsidies. Meat would the average hamburger, fast food hamburger would cost twenty five dollars, eight to twenty five dollars is what I've read. Uh, if it weren't taxpayers being forced to subsidize, so what would you say to African Americans about using the power of the purse to create a food revolution and a cultural revolution because this is a unique opportunity in history to take power back. And that, sure, protests are one thing, marching is one thing, but this is a society where money talks almost above all else. Imagine if all the people protesting said, we are going to boycott meat. Indeed, Right now, we are uh, working on having, there is a meat boycott. LULAC, the nation's largest Latino civil rights organization, is uh, already done meatless May to show solidarity for the slaughterhouse workers who are on a death march into COVID-19 riddled slaughterhouses, and they want to extend it into a national campaign. Imagine if everybody got on board with that, who is protesting right now for racial justice 
uh, imagine what kind of a revolution could occur, an economic revolution, a food revolution. I completely agree. Yeah. And in my film, one thing. So one thing about veganism, when I, you know, advocate for it, I try to always do it in a way that hits home for whoever I'm talking to. So I don't necessarily use whatever the best pitch is, you know, whatever the best argument is, I'll use the argument that's relative to that community. So when I'm talking to, you know, people of color and especially in low um, income communities, like I point out to them like, wow, look, it's a dialysis center every four blocks. And it's also the highest concentration of fast food restaurants and unhealthy foods. You have the most fast uh, fast food billboards in your community, but it's obvious that this is one of the sickest communities. So it almost looks like your government is trying to kill you. So when I'm talking about fast food, I, you know, I try to you know, let people know about that fact. So then it hits home and it becomes personal, you know, like, wow, this is actually an attack on my life as well, giving them even more ammunition to want to fight the fight that you're talking about. Well, yes, people talk about meat and dairy as a personal choice. Well, it's no more a personal choice than smoking a cigarette and blowing smoke into somebody's face. The impact that eating animals has on the environment. It is a leading, and there's a new white paper that says it is the leading cause of climate change. It is not disputed. It is the leading cause of habitat destruction. Uh, An area 20 times the size of Manhattan has been destroyed since the first of the year in the Amazon, primarily to create grazing land for cattle. The same thing is happening in Australia. The same thing is happening the world over. We are literally giving planet Earth a buzz cut to grow cattle grazing land uh, and destroying all those trees to sequester carbon. So we are accelerating climate change. When you destroy the habitat, you, you accelerate wildlife extinction. Those animals have nowhere to go. We are literally, the meat and dairy industry is the most toxic industry. It is polluting our waters. Where do you think all the feces and the urine and the blood go? It is polluting neighbors, and that was established uh, in the, the Kip Anderson documentaries, that they are literally spraying pig and cow feces onto the front yards of communities of color where you have that woman who comes out in the South, the African-American woman who says, I can't even step outside of my front door to have a cookout or to sit and have a picnic because they are spraying bleep, starts with an S, ends with a T, right at me. So again, getting people to make that equation that it is not in their self-interest. And it's and and believe me, it's hard to get environmentalists to make the connection, uh, so-called environmentalists. It's hard to get humanitarians who are fighting world hunger. I spoke to a woman once who runs a, a, a hunger organization, and I tried to get her to watch some of these documentaries. She rolled, rolled her eyes and walked away. So denial is a powerful thing. But speaking of the African-American community, Uh, that's what your film is about. How do you think we can accelerate a mass awakening that this would be one of the most powerful ways to take the power back, going plant-based en masse? You know what? I think that that is such a hard question because even you know, you made the comparison to, you know, giving up meat to giving up cigarettes. The only difference is 
when I was growing up, my mom told me cigarettes were bad. My teachers told me cigarettes were bad. Pastor, everyone in my life with plant based, I mean, with eating meat and dairy, all of those same sources, all of the people that I love, respect, all of the people that pretty much gave me my blueprint for life, they all told me that this was the right way to eat. So when you challenge someone, you're also challenging like the way the entire way they grew up and what everyone has told them in the past. So then it's the real question is, how do you get people to trust you over your word, over their mom's word or their teacher's word? And that's, and that's hard. Wow. Well, I, I just think this is possibly the most important conversation we can have. This is a moment of radical change within our culture. It is a technological change. I don't know if we're ever going to go back to the old ways of driving here and there. You know, we do a daily show, Lunch Break Live on Jane Unchained, and I used to drive in my Prius, so I, I try to be good about the, the uh, you know, fossil fuels as well, uh, but two places, do a Lunch Break Live with them and drive all the way back, and I realized during the course of that, hey, you know, sometimes it's four o'clock by the time I get back. Now, of course... I'm at home, somebody's doing it remotely, and I'm getting a lot of work done. This is happening exponentially across the world where we are really shifting. A lot of changes are happening technologically and obviously culturally as well. There is an uprising. People are uh, protesting, expressing Black Lives Matter. And in that mix, there's also a general, I feel, fed upness with the rate, uh, the the economic inequality. The economic inequality is a big aspect of that. Where three or four people have literally more wealth than the bottom fifty percent of the entire population. So, what could we do culturally to bring that to a head and say, "No, we're going to take some of that back." One thing you do three times a day is eat. That money adds up. We all know that right now because many of us are eating at home and not going out to restaurants and seeing all the money we save, even though as a vegan, I'm doing everything I can to support vegan restaurants. But that is a huge, huge, huge piece of the economy. And, and if we could use this opportunity to take that huge piece of the economy and say, no, we're not going to go to fast food restaurants. We're not going to go to restaurants that are serving food that are killing us. That that to me would be the ultimate revolution. What do you think? I think so. And I also think, you know what? If you want to beat them, you have to borrow from their playbook. Like you think about why people go to McDonald's. How many McDonald's commercials do you see every day? How many McDonald's ads do you see in your newspaper while you're going down the street? You know, it's the it's a marketing rule of seven. Once people see something seven times, it's that seven time when they are compelled to actually do something. So we have to, you know, especially people within this movement who do have access to funding. It's a matter of like, OK, you need to put a lot of vegan marketing out in the forefront so this can be a constant on people's minds. And when you bring up the um, the economic inequalities, people are tired. People are stressed out. If you are struggling you almost, you're not even in a place to receive a message that requires you to kind of deconstruct your lifestyle and learn everything from, it's just like, oh, this is too much. I already have too much on my plate. I, I need to figure out how to make more money. So one thing I love about Lauren Ornelas, she's in, um, she does the Food Empowerment Project. Mm -hmm. One thing I love about her advocacy is she adds, um, she um, promotes 
fair wages for everyone as a part of her activism. And I think that's also a key to getting people to be more receptive to change. Absolutely. We're going to take a short break on Voice America Radio, but we're staying live on Facebook. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Are you ready for provocative discussions with some of today's most powerful movers and shakers? Tune in to The Art of Significance featuring Dan Clark, the modern-day Napoleon Hill, who interviews the wealthiest, most successful celebrities and business leaders on the planet who are using their influence to change the world. From authors to entertainers, sports figures, educators to military leaders, Dan covers multiple topics. Tune in every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel you are listening to jane unchained to reach the show today call in to 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 you may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right. We are here with the one and only Jasmine Leva, who is the director of the incredible film, The Invisible Vegan, streaming now on Amazon Prime. I've included the link, so please watch it. And guess what? Because I also have a film on Amazon Prime, and I know how important this is. Our film, by the way, is called Countdown to Year Zero, about how uh, meat and dairy is causing us to head toward an ecological apocalypse. And if we don't go vegan by 2026, um, as, a, as a society, we could literally go extinct. But I know how important reviews are. So watch The Invisible Vegan. I make a commitment now, later today, to write a review, and I hope you do too, because it's a great film. And it's, it's really what we need to be talking about right this second empowerment comes in many different forms and empowerment can come with marching and protesting. Fantastic. But also the power of the purse and food choices. It's the most powerful thing we can do. And so um, this is an opportunity, I think, to get people to, um, it seems, okay, we've already established that African-Americans are the fastest growing segment of the vegan movement in the United States. 8% of, uh, African-Americans consider themselves vegan, whereas only uh, 3% of the overall U.S. population considers themselves to be vegan. That was a 2016 Pew Research study. It may be even more than that right now. So where do you see those people being sort of activists to turn the people around them into um, people who are open to eating plant-based. In other words, look at you. You're one person. How many people have you gotten to go vegan? You've done a documentary. You do all sorts of things all the time to wake people up. And you've woken some of the friends that you have up to the idea that 
it's in their self-interest to go plant-based. How do we activate all the people watching right now to, to be more effective activists? Because that's, that's how it's going to happen. Okay. I will say to be an effective activist, one, do things that you're good at. You know, so for me, I'm good at film. So I could use my art as a, a tool for activism. Say you're not good at film, you're good at photography. That's you can use your you can use your photos, post them online so people can see how good the food looks. You're a good cook, you can throw dinner parties. You can touch, you know, do whatever level of activism you feel comfortable with, and also make sure you are aware of who you're talking to and you know your audience. If you're advocating to people in a certain community, you're going to a low income community. Maybe not throw out like, oh yeah, it's so easy. You could just get Beyond Burgers because the Beyond Burger price point is a little high. So if you tell a high price point to people who might not be able to afford it, then it makes this lifestyle uh, more off-putting. So pay attention to who you're talking to. And when people have rebuttals, instead of being quick, to you know, start this whole vegan debate that's gonna make the other person jump on the defensive, stop and actually listen to what they're saying and listen to it, reflect on it. And maybe when you go home that night, before you even try to turn that person, because if their mind is made up, it might be made up, use that as ammunition to think about, okay, what if I get this um, argument in the future, what is an eloquent and Oh, eloquent way I can put this argument that's not going to put the other person on the defensive. So don't be so quick to fire off at people. Just know who you're talking to. I agree with you. I am argumentative by nature. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I'm ashamed of going vegan. So I always, but I realize uh, not everybody's like me. Okay. So I was interviewing Howard Lyman who is a fourth generation cattle rancher who got very ill and made a pact with God. He's the one who went on Oprah and she said that stopped me cold from eating another burger after he revealed the horrors of the industry. And then the Cattlemen's Association sued her and uh, he became famous for 15 minutes essentially. And he was doing a book tour and I was a local news anchor in um, working at Paramount Studios in Hollywood at a TV station. And I interviewed him and afterwards he and his publicist came over to my cubicle, they said, we hear you're a vegetarian. I said, yes. And they said, do you eat dairy? And I kind of hung my head because he had just revealed the horrors of babies ripped from the mothers, the boys are shot, put in veal crates, whatever, the whole horror. And I said, yes. And then they pointed their finger right at my nose and they said, liquid meat. So that's when I went vegan. And, you know, I'm glad they did that. If they had been well, you might want to consider, you know, eliminating dairy from your diet. I probably wouldn't have heard it, but that's me. I'm, I'm a person who, you know, a New Yorker. So um, I agree with you. It's not always, that's not always the way to go. All right. We have a caller and uh, this is one of our contributors, the amazing Gwenna Hunter. Gwenna, your question or thought, Gwenna? <laughs> Hey, first of all, I just wanted to say a uh, great show. It is it's such a delicious conversation. And I just wanted to tell Jasmine, I really, really uh, agree with her on her saying, like, how to respond back to people and not being so quick to fire off and advocating for the things that you're really good in. Because I know, like, a lot of times in this movement, I've even had to check myself 
it's so easy because of where you are and your particular level of understanding that you want to talk to them from that place instead of, you know, from where they are. So I just want to say, uh, commend you on that, Jasmine. And then also just find out from Jasmine, like, what else are you working on? And I want to say before um, we get any further that Gwenna Hunter came up with this brilliant idea that has taken off and gone viral. She woke up and uh, just said she got an inspiration uh, to start. uh, Well, are you still on, Gwenna? I'm still on. I know what you're going to talk about the group that has given me so much gray hair, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tell tell us about it. Tell us about it because it's really interesting. Um, well, it's called Vegas for Black Lives Matter, and um, yeah, I'm I'm growing every single day, just trying to handle all the different personalities and needs. And so uh, today we have a day, and Jasmine, feel free to join the group or come in there and chat. Today is we're only uh, allowing Black voices to speak because there's so many conversations going on in there, and it's hard for people to really, you know, see the really really good ones. So today. All black voices come in and speak. You'll be heard. You'll be seen. Uh, talk about your business, your life, whatever it is you want to do. You have uh, 2,500 plus people in there that will have all eyes on you. So, um, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. uh, amazing accomplishment to have 2,500 members after just starting a couple few days ago. Uh, obviously, it's an idea whose time has come. Uh, and uh, maybe... Uh, the the meat boycott uh, can be um, included in that. And by the way, anybody who wants to do a video supporting the meat boycott, it's I support boycott meat, and uh, we we will accept those videos. Um, now, thank you, Gwenna Hunter, my buddy, and uh, what an amazing activist with Vegans of LA and Vegan Outreach as well. Okay, so what are you up to? Tell us. Okay, so you know what? And I want to make a quick comment about Gwenna too, because she's just on it. Gwenna is a perfect example of when I talk about, you know, people who advocate out of love. Um, when I first came into the vegan community, I was kind of building a plant based community and building plant based friends. And, you know, when you come from, uh, when you're an African American person or a person of color, sometimes you have an aggressive relationship with the world already because of the way the world treats you. So it makes you feel comfortable to come into an environment where you have where you feel loved, not not judged, not yelled at, but you feel loved. And Gwenna, she embodies that. When I met her, it was nothing but love. So thank you, Gwenna. And as far as what I'm working on next, I want to, well, I'm working on a follow-up project to the Invisible Vegan. Working title is Food Corrections, and it's about um, healthy food options in the prison system. And I'm picking that as a focus because in my work, I love to give a voice to the voiceless. And once again, like if we're talking about eradicating a system of oppression, we can't just say like, oh, let's just market it to this group or that group. It's like, no, you need you would need all groups to kind of get on board and um, give up certain things. And especially when you have a group that's been subject to, you know, the kind of cruelty that we are advocating against in this movement. I just thought it was really relevant. Wow, of course. All right, let's go back to the phone lines. Paige, what is your question or thought? Paige. Yes, oh my gosh, this movie um, changed the course of my life, honestly, Um, being somebody who was born in white skin and learning about white privilege. um, It's been just mind-blowing to watch the trajectory of now what, what, how of which we are 
um, getting engaged in dismantling racism. And I just heard the term um, on the interview that you did with John Lewis, Badass Vegan, nutrition deserts. And I wrote in the two S's, so desserts, but deserts. Can you distinguish that for us and our viewers? Um, Please, Jasmine, thank you so much. Okay, so food deserts, um, it's something that I talked about in my documentary. I, I don't think I use the term nutrition deserts. If you heard that, that was probably John. But um, for a food desert, that's a place where um, I don't know what the exact proximity is, but you don't have access to a grocery store. You're surrounded by, you know, mainly um, non-healthy food options. Or maybe in your grocery store, you don't even have like a, a nice produce section. Um, you don't have a lot of organic foods. It's just you don't, a lot of people in that community don't have access to healthy foods. Now, there's this whole, uh, I call it a false notion that somehow vegan food is elitist, it's more expensive, when we all know that, yeah, sure, going to a, a fancy vegan restaurant is more expensive, but brown rice, beans, cabbage, potatoes, you could grab a sack of those and survive and have all the protein and the nutrition you need for a month. In fact, I've started eating more like that since the quarantine and found that, you know, I got a big thing of oats and making overnight oats and making quinoa. I got this much quinoa lasts for a long time. You know, it's this much before you cook it, then you cook it and it's this much. I mean, that, that notion, though, is very much ingrained, correct me if I'm wrong, in the African-American community that somehow um, it's, it's elitist, it's a, uh, a white choice, and you disrupt that false notion in your film. But I do feel that that whole it's too expensive thing is still out there, out there amongst a lot of people, a lot of communities. Definitely. And I also and something I also point out, you know, I point out like if you if you go into, you know, some low income black communities, you'll notice, well, you guys have you all wear designer clothing. So there is a little bit of extra money to go around, not everyone, but a large uh, portion. And I think what the other connection that's not being made is when you think about price, you know, the reason why, you know, they spend a lot of money on shoes or people spend a lot of money on shoes is because they believe, oh, these shoes are of good quality. So when you think about food, you should think about it in the same way. It's like, okay, this is a cheap dollar burger, but what nutrients are you getting in this burger? If you're not getting any nutrients, then that's just a waste of money, opposed to if you spend that dollar on kale Will, can kale be a whole meal? No, you'll have to get more. But if you think about how many nutrients you are paying for within that dollar versus something off the dollar menu at McDonald's, it's a no brainer as far as cost. So let's talk about health and the African-American community. Your film is The Invisible Vegan. It focuses in on the African-American community, civil rights leaders who were and are vegan uh, and vegan health for the African-American community. Now let's, the statistics are that the health uh, stats are, are dire in the African-American community. And a lot of it is dietary related. We know that heart disease in general kills one out of every four Americans. That was the stat before COVID-19 came and eclipsed as the major killer, but still it's, it's up there as the major killer. 
And uh, heart disease, as we know, unless you're a rare person who has a genetic predisposition to, to cholesterol, high cholesterol, is caused by eating too many animal products because only animal products contain cholesterol, which becomes plaque, which clogs the arteries to the heart, as well as other body parts, if you know what I mean. So what can we do to make the connection? I mean, you're, you did that in your film. You made the connection between eating animals and their byproducts and the dire health stats in the African-American community. Well, one thing we need to do is we need to dismantle what people in the African-American community even think, even consider as norm, a normal state of health. You know, when I was young, I thought that, you know, I knew my grandmother had diabetes. I thought, oh, diabetes is my destiny. You know, when people eat, uh, when they take pills for cholesterol, I thought that was, to me, that was the normal aging process. So one, showing people, no, that's not, that's not normal. That's not something that you have to inherit. And two, even the way, you know, with our health system, when I first did my film, I quit my job. So I went on Medi-Cal like, oh, okay, well, I'm not working free healthcare. When I got on Medi-Cal, I could not believe the quality of care people get. Like I had a bad um, thing going on in my stomach. I went in September. They set my appointment to get checked out in May of the next year. You know, that's like eight, nine months later. So think about if you're someone who has a serious disease, you have, you might have stage four cancer, but your doctor tells you, you go to the emergency room and they tell you, oh, we can't check you out for another eight months. So when you have that kind of, healthcare system that is not dedicated to helping people who are, you know, helping people of color or helping people in low income situations. At that point, people need to start taking control of their own care. They need to start making sure like, you know what, listen, my, our healthcare system is not committed to making sure I get the help that I need. So I need to make sure I don't have to go to the hospital in the first place. Like it is life or death. But I don't see the vast majority of Americans in general making that connection. I mean, I'm watching this pandemic and uh, you know, we're working with Support and Feed, which is an incredible organization. I urge everybody to go to supportandfeed.com. And uh, that is Maggie Baird's uh, organization. She's an actress who happens to be the mom of Billie Eilish. She uh, is a vegan and an activist. And she is getting people to donate to vegan restaurants. They make food. And then the food is delivered to uh, homeless shelters, senior citizen shelters, children's organizations. Uh, and uh, there was also many first responders who got the food. Accomplishes three things. One, it keeps the vegan restaurants in business, which we all need to fight to do. Two, it feeds people nutritious, plant-based, whole food, food that they need during this time. And three... It exposes people to vegan food. And uh, one of the things that I see, though, in general across the country, and I was just watching a, a, a network show uh, yesterday, last night, a cable news show where they're talking about people feeding and they're complimenting them and they're feeding them meat. They're feeding them the very food that gives them heart disease and cancer, processed meat. And yet that's being applauded as some kind of great um, uh gift when it's the problem it is indeed the problem to everything pretty much that ails us in society your thoughts on that jasmine 
It, it's, you know, it's despicable. Like even in, in hospitals when they serve that kind of food and they have milk and, you know, hospitals have contracts with certain, you know, food companies that, you know, give me, and it's just, it's, Jane, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I, I, I mean, we're all doing everything we can, you know, and the law of unintended consequences. I think that there's a huge shift occurring. This is the opportunity. We talked about the protests, but also look at what's happening in the slaughterhouses. Uh, many of these slaughterhouses have had to shut down temporarily because they are hotbeds of coronavirus. And indeed, uh, the Trump administration has declared uh, them critical infrastructure under the Defense Protection Act and said that their meat's an essential product. And so that these people have to go in there and risk their lives and risk the lives of their families and communities uh, by getting COVID-19. Many of them have died, more than 60. Last time I checked, and it's higher now, thousands of them have gotten uh, the coronavirus. It's being spread to their communities all because of a lie that meat is an essential product. Of course it's not. And uh, in fact, one of the newscasters and the hosts that I generally admire, Rachel Maddow, and I watch her show, said, well, nobody disputes that this is an essential product or worse to that effect. And I wrote a long email to her explaining that, no, not only is it not an essential product, it is the product that is destroying us on every level, destroying human health, destroying uh, our environment, destroying, uh, well, obviously, torturing all these billions of animals for no reason. I mean, it's a, it's a lose, lose, lose. It is the furthest thing from an essential business. So right there, people are starting to see that, oh, my, my hamburger, my chicken wing, my ribs didn't fall from a rib tree or a chicken wing tree. They are actually seeing these slaughterhouses sometimes for the first time in their lives. And they are now really having to come to terms with the fact that they're killing an animal. They're not just eating an animal. They are killing an animal. You know, uh, I covered crime for many years. You don't have to be the one who pulls the trigger to be found guilty of murder. If you're participating in a crime, you're a part of the crime and you can be convicted. So anybody who buys animal products is a co-conspirator in the killing of that animal. The acceleration of climate change, the destruction of the natural world, and the destruction of their own health. Sorry, I got. No, no I, 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 I sometimes I just I'm I'm perplexed at the inability of human beings to see that eating animals is not in their self interest. And I think you know what, because I, and I and I've heard that argument. I mean, I completely agree with it. Preaching to the choir. But yes. One thing I think has failed to happen from what I've seen. I haven't seen um, people kind of talk about what that would actually look like. You know, they talk about it in abstract terms, like, okay, you don't need meat. Um, we know that, but a lot of people think, oh, I need meat to make sure uh, my kids need meat to have enough protein. So like if, say they were to close down all the factory farms. I haven't heard someone talk about like, okay, what would that look like though? And you have people in different communities, like say, you know, like I, I rely heavily on beans for protein, right? So when this happened, a lot of the beans were sold out and I still can't get a bag of beans. And you know, where I'm at, I can Instacart, but everyone else doesn't have that privilege. So actually talking about, okay, 
what does it look like? You know, the vitamins that people do get from whatever meat they're consuming is like, how are we going to make sure these people still have access to the vitamins? How are we going to make sure they stay healthy? Because even when you're eating a vegan diet, you know, like sometimes you won't be satiated or you won't feel your healthiest if you're not eating it correctly. So, oh, of course, of course. I mean, there's various gradations. Technically, you could eat Oreo cookies all day long and say you're a vegan. And so, uh, you know, there are always those extreme examples. For example, when people say, well, if you were alone on a desert island and it was you and a pig, would you kill the pig? And I, and of course, the real answer to that is, well, I would just eat what the pig's eating. If the pig's there, that means there must be other food that the pig's eating. Um, so, yeah, I agree. But I think that people are discovering, I mean, I've gotten healthier since I've been eating healthier since this quarantine started because I used to go to vegan restaurants all the time. That's what we did, profile vegan restaurants. And so now I'm eating quinoa and I'm eating vegetables and I'm eating tofu and I'm eating oats and I'm feeling better about it. I mean, not to say that I'm never going to go to those vegan restaurants, but A, I'm going to try to make healthier choices, maybe pass up. Oh, well, I gave up sugar December 28th, one day at a time because I've slipped before. So I don't want to jinx myself. But the point is that People, this is a, everybody is in their, in their homes. It's their laboratory for change right now. Everybody can use this as an opportunity to change, to grow. And that's what I feel that this moment is the moment where we can really tell people, shed those dead animals, shed those dead animals and emerge, emerge, uh, healthier, happier. And, um, spiritually better. We're going to take a short break. On the other side, we're going to talk about that, the spiritual connection. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We get Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All 
right, cheerful music, and we're here with a delightful guest, Jasmine Leva, the director of The Invisible Vegan, which is an incredible documentary streaming now on Amazon Prime. The link is right in the intro. And watch it and write a nice review, please. I know that's very important. And uh, yeah, it, it helps the algorithm so more people see it. It gets higher on the uh, viewing, whatever. Uh, but uh, what I'd like to ask you is that at this critical juncture in human history, and I really feel we are at a shifting point in so many ways, what do you say to people who say, now's not the time? Because this is what everybody always says about change. Now's not the time. Okay, there are obviously very serious issues that are being discussed on a national level, life and death issues, injustices, racial injustice, the Black Lives Matter movement. But I would argue now is precisely the time. What are your thoughts on that? I'm just like you. I I feel like, okay, so we live in a society where we're breathing polluted air. So we're breathing toxins. We're putting lotion on. Our skin is absorbing toxins. We're eating food with chemicals in it. So we're ingesting toxins. So our bodies are already up to the wire in toxins. Now you get rid of toxins in your body by eating foods, healthy plant-based foods with antioxidants in them that help fight the free radicals in your body. So when you have something like a coronavirus, COVID-19, a global pandemic sweeping the nation, what you want is you want your immune system to be built up. You build your immune system by the types of foods that you put in your body. So in the morning, instead of, you know, bacon, eggs, all that stuff, not going to do anything for you. You're just adding toxins to your system. No, if you're cooking food, why not add some garlic to the food? Garlic has a lot of foods have antiviral properties in them. Wouldn't now be the best time to eat food with antiviral properties when there's a virus sweeping over the nation? So I would definitely say this is the perfect moment. And one of the comments from our viewers says, Dr. Milton Mills, uh, who was also in your documentary, is pointing out that African-Americans are being hit harder than the general population by COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you already have a group, you know, you have a group that already has diabetes. Like I said, your immune system is like an army. You know, an army can't fight too many different fights, you know. So if you are already plagued by dis-ease, disease in the body, it's going to be hard for your immune system to fight off something like a COVID. However, if you're eating, you know, if you're taking in a lot of vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients in the food that you're consuming, you're building up your army instead of bringing knives to a gunfight. You know, it just reminds me of the same issue parallel during the environmental marches and the climate marches. Now things are starting to shift. Um, For example, Joaquin Phoenix talking at the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards and the uh, Oscars, making the connection between environmental wreckage and eating animals and the cruelty and... Uh, all of that, things had shifted after that, I believe. But prior to that, you'd go to a climate strike march and people would be eating hot dogs. The very thing that is causing climate change and very resistant, many of them, to the message that, wait a second, it's nice to foment against fossil fuels, which is sort of an amorphous thing over here, but also look in the mirror and uh, ask yourself, am I contributing to climate change? Is there a parallel to, for example, the Black Lives Matter protests and the food situation? These are two giant movements that had that had risen up 
and taken to the streets. And um, there's that food connection that sometimes people don't want to make. You know, at the end of the day, like I, I feel that people have good intentions, but they also, you know, they put their own, you know, you have a lot of people who put their own self-interest before, sometimes before humanity. It's not something that's done on purpose. It's just a psychological trap. A lot of people get um, caught into. Now, when you have Black Lives Matter, you have climate change, the things that are happening, like global warming, um, uh, people being killed because of the color of their skin, that doesn't benefit anyone. No one likes that. No one likes any part of that. There's no part of those situations that are enjoyable. So it's easy for people to rally against it and say, yeah, I'm giving it up. I'm not doing this. But when it comes to, oh, now I have to give up something that brings me pleasure, then that kind of that that makes a person have to be more. Um, you have to look inside yourself and you have to make sacrifices and everybody's not ready or doesn't want to make those sacrifices. That's why now it's a good, it's a good time of reflection of people to think about how are you contributing to all of the ills of the world. And it's not in our lives as Americans, our lifestyles are so heavily embedded in almost every form of oppression to the point that it gets overwhelming. And we just throw our hands up like, Oh, if I buy this shirt, I'm supporting child labor. If I buy this vegetable, I'm supporting farm labor. If I buy, you know, and, and people throw their hands up and it's just like, no, you can't throw your hands up. You have to think about every single choice you make because all of these choices and all of the ways that you spend your dollar reflects the kind of world that you will live in and the kind of world that your children will live in. You are so right. And we all, myself included, need to look in the mirror. My great niece, who's a generation, whatever that young generation is, but she's very hip vegan. And she challenged me to buy vintage. Jane, you shouldn't buy new clothes. Mm -hmm. So um, I have not been 100%, but I've really gotten into it. I've gone to a couple of vintage stores and found some great stuff better made, you know, just stylish. And I actually had fun with it. And uh, it took uh, somebody confronting me, not that I'm a big fashionista, au contraire. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I listened to what she said. She said, you know, really, you should you should just buy vintage. And uh, so uh, there's every single choice we make about how we spend our dollars is a political, environmental, and moral choice. And uh, food is the penultimate example of that. So uh, we're about out of time. When you say you're on to new projects, are you going to be doing another documentary? Yes, yes. So the new project is um, a new documentary. It's kind of tackling the same point, but just for a different group. Oh, well, any hits? Come on. Oh, it's the, I talked about it earlier, the oh. prison documentary. So talking about um, the prison, the prison. Oh, the prison. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I thought that was a project. I didn't realize you were going to do a film about it. That's ambitious. Wow. And uh, no, because, uh, you know, filming at prisons is very, cha- it's complicated and challenging. And, it is. Uh, and honestly, I'm trying to think of ways to get around it because um, I don't necessarily have to film in a prison like I can get very creative so I was thinking about even ways where I'm just writing letters to people from all over the world and I'm listening you know I'm getting their words of what they're eating instead of actually seeing it because I there are not going to be a lot of prisons that are going to want me to take 
them feeding their prisoners maggots, which is what happens in a lot of Oh, my God. Well, yeah. I do know an organization I work with, Social Compassion and Legislation, passed legislation here in California that requires, requires uh, prisons along with hospitals and institutions to mm -hmm. offer vegan options to people who ask for it. So that was a huge bill. And uh, let's hope that that goes coast to coast. Uh, so I just want to say you're, you're extremely inspiring. I loved your film because it's uplifting. Sometimes I'm afraid to watch documentaries because I'm like, I'm going to have nightmares because the footage of what we do to animals is so horrific. It is so horrific. Look at this depopulation that they're doing now, the so-called euthanasia. It's anything but they're roasting animals alive by the tens of thousands uh, direct action everywhere just did an expose it's it's you know you just you look at it and you go I'm embarrassed to be a human being it's just so horrific your film while it has a few images like that um, really manages to use them just very it you know strategically so it's an uplifting film I urge everyone to watch it have watch parties let's let's use this moment in time, which is such a unique transformational moment in history to transition to a plant-based world, better for us, better for the planet, and yes, better for the animals too. So I want to thank you, Jasmine Leva. It's been such a delight talking to you, and I can't wait to have you back when you produce your next documentary. Thank you. You guys heard it. So she has to have me back. She said it. <laughs> I have to have you back. All right. We'll talk soon. Thank you all for watching. And please uh, support Jane Unchained. We're a 501c3. Support us by liking us, sharing our videos. Share this out. That's the way we're going to spread information because is the mainstream media talking about this? No. That's why I started Jane Unchained because these are the conversations we need to have that aren't being had. By the, by the advertiser-based mainstream media, where um, if you watch the TV commercials, you would think everybody is completely disease-ridden. It's fast food and pharmaceuticals. That's why they're not having the conversation. That's why we are. Thank you so much, Jasmine Leva in the house. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.